Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Good morning, Epiphany family. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Listen, find somebody in the chat if you have not already found them. Say hi. If they look unfamiliar, say what's up. We are here to lift up God's name and give him praise. Amen. Uh, My name is Chris. Uh, I am the vocal director and one of the worship leaders here at Epiphany. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And our mission at Epiphany is we seek to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. And I'm so um, grateful for the opportunity to come before you and share a little bit of what God has laid on my heart. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to our uh, pastor and first lady, Pastor B and Ty. Thank you so much for uh, just trusting me with um, uh, a Sunday. (laughs) Um, I want to give a huge shout out to my biggest support system. I had to put her her first. My wife, Valerie. Um, Y'all put the hands emojis in the chat, please. That's my wife. Do it now. I have the mic. I said so. Um, And um, she's been a huge support and I could not do this without her. Yo, shout out to the worship team and the tech team, the people behind the cameras, in the sound rooms, behind instruments, up here on mics. Uh, They come in every single week, every Sunday, working so hard. And we thank you so much for your sacrifice and for um, going where God is calling you to go. We really appreciate it. Um, Okay, so here's how today's going to go. I have a lengthy uh, section of scripture, so we're going to read and talk and read and talk, and we're just going to pop through it together. So if you have your physical Bible or your digital Bible, um, please open up to the book of Exodus chapter 3, and we're starting at verse 7. And as we go through, I'll tell you where we're jumping around and where we are stopping. Uh, By the way, if you have a physical Bible, I once heard that this was your fast pass into heaven. So like if you're at like Universal, you know, you have the fast pass, you can go to the front of the line. So if I were you, I'd use your physical Bible so that you can get into heaven faster. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, and I'm going to read until verse 10. Uh, We'll stop, pray, and jump in. Uh, The Bible says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of, help me Lord, Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. Praise the Lord. So, because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Uh, The name of the sermon this morning is called Calling All Impostors. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I pray that if the word does not come from you, that you would take it out of my mouth. Lord, I pray that every word that I speak, every thought that I have, Lord God, would be ordained by you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Um, Calling all imposters. So 
There's a video game that's out now. I'm a second grade teacher, and all the kids talk about is this video game called Among Us. If you've heard of it, put a thumbs up in the chat. If you haven't, there's, um, it's a riff off of a game called Mafia or Werewolf, and you might have played it maybe in college or with a group of friends. So basically, whether it's the video game or the live version with real people, there are multiple players. One or more characters um, are considered the imposter or the killer. Uh, most of the characters are working to keep this imaginary spaceship running, so they're running around doing different tasks, and one or more characters are killing off the other crewmates. Those are the imposters, like I said. And after each round of work, all of the crewmates vote on who they think the imposters are. The game ends when all the imposters are found or if the crew members have all died. Now, if you've ever played Among Us, Werewolf, or Mafia, easily top five most stressful experiences of your life. And here's why. When you are a crew member or whatever the name for the mafia members or the, the, the werewolf members are, if you are somebody who is not the werewolf, not the person who's going around killing anybody, you're nervous because you're like, I don't know who is uh, coming for me. I don't know who the bad guy is and we got to figure it out. But like, there's always a section where you're in danger. So you're like, oh man, I don't know what to do. But during the discussion time, the imposter is the one who has the most anxiety and the most nervousness because they're like, yo, I'm about to get, I'm about to get find out, found out, right? So like the times that I've been the imposter, I'm terrible at this game, by the way. The, time, <laughs> the times that I've been the imposter, um, I, I don't know how to be uh, an imposter in the game because y'all know I talk a lot. I'm very loud and I get quiet in the game. So people are like, Chris is real quiet. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And you know, they're, they're like, they're like, it's you, and then they vote me out, and I'm always out the game. And I, let me tell you, this game tore friendships apart. I remember playing this game deep into the night because, like, there's no, um, there's no trust in between the people playing the game. Um, and <laughs> you spend the whole game either wondering who was killing everyone or you are going to decide who to eliminate in the game. And like I said, by far the most stressful role in the game was the imposter. And there are some other days outside of the game when I still feel like an imposter. And I, I'm not saying that I feel like a murderer, okay? I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is I feel like I'm putting on a face. We've been wearing masks for a year plus. I've been wearing a different mask. That's what it feels like. Like secretly everyone knows that I'm making it up as I go along. There's a joke that I always tell um, my friends. It's like, I didn't know my parents didn't know what was happening. Right? Like, as a grown-up now, I'm like, how do I pay for bills? What's insurance? Like, I don't know these things, and I'm worried that other people are going to find out. Chris is just pretending to be a grown-up. He's just three toddlers in a big trench coat. <laughs> and the problem that, that arises from that is that as soon as anybody questions me or my ability, as soon as anyone questions me or my ability, I'm liable to crack and fall apart. Now, that might sound familiar, familiar to you because that's actually a common phenomenon and it's called imposter syndrome. Type in the chat, imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is, uh, this is how it's defined. It's a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. And something that I found really interesting is that imposter syndrome is something that does affect us all. It covers race, gender, sex, um, uh, all of it, right? But it especially affects people of color, more specifically women of color. Now, 
It's kind of that feeling, maybe you felt this. It's that feeling of, how did I get this job? They're gonna find out about me. I don't know what I'm doing. If I don't do this perfectly, I'm going to get fired. They're going to realize that I don't actually know what I'm doing. I can't ask for help because then they'll think I'm incompetent or I'm stupid. Now that's one kind of imposter syndrome. And that kind of imposter syndrome kind of disregards all of the education and experiences that you've had leading up to that point. That's the kind that you need to go to therapy for. Go to therapy. Go to therapy. Um, but there's another kind of imposter syndrome that I wanted to talk to you about today. And this kind of imposter syndrome is specific to the life of a Christian. This imposter syndrome happens when we feel like God is calling us someplace. Now, this is really important. So this is why you need to lean in. It's important because Christ calls every Christian. When, when Jesus went up into heaven, he said, go therefore and preach the gospel into Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and into all the world. 12 people could not do that by themselves. That word was for all of us as Christians. Now, that might not mean that your job is to go and preach on the street corner or on the bus, but that does mean that God is calling you someplace. And he often calls the Christian to uncomfortable and unfamiliar spaces all the time. For example, let's say you were a singer and then your pastor asked you to preach a sermon. Just saying. But this is not just something that exists in the here and now. We see it all through the Bible. Esther was called to save her people as queen, even though she was first in Israeli exile. Gideon was called to lead an army after showing himself as a coward. Peter was called to be one of the leaders of the early church after making a career as a fisherman. David was called to be king after, being, after watching sheep. Mary was called to bear the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, even though she was just a virgin and unmarried. God will call you into places and spaces that scare you, make you uncomfortable, and ultimately will make you wonder if God has the right person. Just like another giant in the, face, uh, in the faith, our friend Moses here. So let's get into a little bit of background. So if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you already know where we are in the story. This is the story of the burning bush. And at this point in his life, Moses has fled Egypt. He actually fled Egypt because he killed an Egyptian that was mistreating one of the Hebrews. And he fled into the land of Midian for 40 years. He actually went and built an entire life there. He has a wife, he has sheep, he's living the life. And he went from being I found this out, this is crazy. He went from being the next potential pharaoh of Egypt to just being some dude with sheep. So that's humbling real quick, right? Um, and our passage is opening with a big shift for Moses. This is his encounter with the Lord, speaking to him through the burning bush. And God calls Moses, but immediately you see that imposter syndrome rear up as he asks four questions. We're going to go through each of those four questions, and I have four points to um, just minister to you and encourage you if you feel like God is calling you someplace, which he is. I don't know what it is, but you do. God definitely just dropped it in your heart. I can feel that. He dropped it in. So today I'm challenging us to look at the areas where we feel like God is calling us, but we feel like we're frauds. We feel like he got the wrong person. We feel like we feel like we're just not the right person. Let's go back into the text and we're going to go to um, chapter three. We're going to start at verse nine for a moment. It says, so because the Israelites cry for help has come to me and I've also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you might lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is not a point. This is just a bonus. God's calling was never about you. Let's go to Moses's first question. 
Let's go to Moses' first, because realize Moses, if Moses said no, this was not just about Moses doing a job or having a career. It was about the freedom of God's people from Egypt. So that's why his obedience and his faith and this challenge was so important. So whatever God's calling you for, it's, it's not really about, like it's kind of about you because like he's calling, but it's not really about you. It's about what he can achieve down here on earth through his, through his power. All right, so we're going to jump down to verse 11. We're going to read from 11 to, and verse 11 and 12. Check it out. But Moses asked God, who am I, pay attention to that, that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, highlight this if you're using a highlighter. I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, remember, it's not about Moses. It's not about you. You will all worship God at this mountain. Moses' first question was, who am I? And God's answer was super clear. He said, that doesn't matter. I am with you. That's my first point. God is with you. You are not going in alone. Something that Moses did here that, um, that, that I feel like I've been doing pretty often as well is that he's focusing on himself. He's focusing on the comparison between his power, Moses' power, and Pharaoh's power, the power of the ruler of Egypt. And he used that comparison to disqualify himself. He said, who am I in the face of all of this power and authority of Pharaoh? He actually placed the burden of activity on himself as if it was up to him to single-handedly free every single slave from Egypt, but one shackle at a time. But like I said before, God's answer was, that doesn't matter. I'm with you. What God does in this text, he says, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. God refocuses the picture of who is in power away from Pharaoh, away from Moses and his lack of power, and puts it on God himself. God is the one who ultimately has the power. He is the one doing the calling. Therefore, he is the one with the power. And we, when we go, when we're obeying the call of God, when we are going to that next step to whatever God is calling us, he's letting us know right now that you are not going alone. God is with you. And if I could put some Bible on it to steal a pastor B-ism, um, Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. John 4, verse 4, it says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. We never go into these day-to-day -day situations alone. And just like we don't go into our day-to-day -day situations alone, we're not going into our calling alone. God has always been beside us as our strength and our authority. The bottom line is when God calls you, you will never walk alone. God is with you. So that was the first question that Moses asked. You think that there's a burning bush in front of him, so you would just listen, right? But he has more questions. Look at verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Moses asks God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? There's his question. This is his question. What is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered to every generation. Moses' question was, who are you? And God's answer was giving the name, I am who I am. And then he invokes the ancestors of the children of Israel. Here's my second point. God is telling Moses, I am enough. And this is me telling you, God is enough. When Moses first questioned, he, he was questioning his own identity. He said, who am I? I? I can't do this, God. But now he's questioning the Lord's identity, which I don't know if that's been you. I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk about me since, since uh, everybody is more saved than I am. I've definitely, I've definitely questioned um, not just the character of God, but just who God is to me. And something that I um, struggle with is remembering the different attributes of God. And I remember talking about this a couple of weeks ago. God is not just God. There are so many other names that are ascribed to him. We see one in the text. It says, I am who I am. I am not that theologically smart to break apart I am who I am. Please Google that and look it up for yourself. But there is one thing that I can point out. He said, the Lord God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. He sets out his resume, not just for Moses, but to say, this is the credibility that you are walking with. You are not just going in with some guy with a big stick. You are actually going in with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are going in with somebody who has done it before, like the song said, and I can do it again in this space and in this place exactly how it is. God is calling back to his resume. He's giving credibility to the children of Israel, and he's giving credibility to Moses himself. God is saying right now, I am enough. Every part of me is enough. I have been enough, and I will be enough. He's always been the same. His attributes and his character are eternal. They've been the same from the beginning all the way to the end. So this is where I'm giving you homework. I usually give it at the end because I'm a teacher, but put this as a note on the side. You need to look up some names for God, some of the different attributes that he exists as so that we can be reminded of his character. And how has this character turned up for you? So I'm going to talk about me because I, I can't see you. So, I, you know, um, how has his character shown up for me? Maybe he's shown up as a provider. Philippians 4.19, the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches. Maybe he's a resting place. Matthew 11.28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Maybe he's come up in your life as your peace. Ephesians 2.14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles to one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Maybe he's come up as a protector. Psalm 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Maybe he's showing up as a father. Deuteronomy 1 31. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you reach this place. Maybe he's shown himself as a savior. Romans 6 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God has been enough. He always will be enough. And I'm challenging you today. The bottom line is when God calls you, he is sufficient for every need. He is sufficient for all of your deficiencies. God is enough. Type that in the chat. Put down God is enough. Moses has more questions. We're going to flip over to Exodus chapter 4. So turn your page, swipe, tap, whatever it is. Moses answered. I'm at verse 1 of chapter 4. 
what if they don't believe me? Or what if they won't believe me and will not obey to me, or obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you? Verse two, the Lord asked him, highlight this. If you don't highlight nothing else, highlight this. What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. Verse five, this will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Moses' question right here was, what if they don't believe me? Now, before I go into God's answer, I want you to realize that Moses just heard about the Lord and what his name is, and God gave him a track record. He gave him his resume. So the question isn't actually, what if they don't believe me? But the question is more of a, how can I trust that you're going to come through? What if you're wrong? What if I go and they don't listen to me? Which is crazy because God actually told Moses that this would happen. If you look up at um, Exodus 3.18, you don't have to turn there. The words, they will listen to what you have to say, is what God told Moses. But anyway, Moses' question was, what if they don't believe me? What if, what if you're lying to me? What if I, how, can I, how can I trust you? And God's response is, what is in your hand? Crazy, right? The point for this one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to, I'm going to say the point. We're going to learn about it. Watch. God is telling Moses and he is telling us to trust him. He's saying, I am trustworthy. The point for this is God is trustworthy. So God told Moses to turn his, uh, he took, he said, what's in your hand? The little stick and the, the stick turned into a snake and then he picked up the snake. What does that mean, Chris? Um, Honestly, it took me a second this week. I was reading through this and I was like, why, why did you pick this, right? Um, but it was in this moment that Moses actually demonstrated a lack of trust um, in God's power and ability or a lack of trust that God is trustworthy altogether. Now, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, this problem, this call, this whatever is too big and you have a warped view of how powerful, omnipotent, and sovereign God is. Or maybe you are like me, where you're like, God is so sovereign that I know that his plan is going to be good either way. So I'm not actually trusting him to do something that makes me feel good or makes me um, better. Or I don't think that he's going to do this thing that I really want, that I feel like he's calling me towards because he's sovereign. He might choose to do something else. He might choose to do this. He might choose to do that. But God's response was really interesting. He didn't, um, he didn't say, oh, they're going to believe you because da 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 He actually demonstrated power towards um, Moses in that moment. He asked him, what is in your hand? The question turned into a demonstration of God's power and trustworthiness. Now, picture this. This staff, let me use this. This is my staff now. Thank you. Come on, illustration. Moses' staff in his hand. He's had this in his hand for maybe less than 40 years, but basically 40 years. This is the picture of where he is now. This is the picture of what he just spent the last 40 years doing, leading sheep, chasing sheep up mountains, prying them out of the mouth of bears. That's not biblical, I made that up. But that's a picture of what he's been doing. This is not the picture of somebody who has the power to free people from Egypt. So God takes this thing, this picture of where Moses has been, and he says, even this 
even this has the um, opportunity to be used by me if you would take that next faith step because Moses takes his staff and God tells him to, uh, to, to stretch it out. It turns into a snake and God told him to pick up the snake from the tail. Now, first of all, stretching out your staff, that's a simple thing. It's like God tells you to take one step. Great. Wonderful, God. And then something scary happens. And then your step turns into a snake. What are you supposed to do? What do you do when the very thing God asked you to do turns into turmoil and despair? What happens when the thing that God asked you to do turns into something where you're not sure what my ground is going to be? You're not sure what the next step is actually going to look like because I'm nervous about whatever is going to come next. But look at what God asked him to do. He said to pick up the snake from the tail. That's the most dangerous part of the snake. Yeah, yeah, if you pick it up by the tail, he will come back and he will bite you. I know that dance was good. That was the snake. It was coming up to bite him. But God... God actually countered Moses' doubt in that moment with a picture of his trustworthiness because not only did Moses act in a moment of faith, but in the moment of danger, God showed that not only are you going to be safe, but I'm with you this whole time. You can trust that what I'm telling you to do is what I'm calling you to do. So now my question is, what's your act of faith? I can't tell you what it is. I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know what your next step is, but I do know that faith without works is dead. I do know that if you're saying, God, you are sovereign, God, I trust your calling, and you don't move, and you don't take the steps, and you don't take the class, and you don't go to therapy, then your, your faith is dead. What is God asking you to do now? What is your next act? Peter's act was to step out of a boat in the middle of a rainstorm to walk toward a ghost. The Jamaicans would call him a duppy. (laughs) The blind man's act was to call out to Jesus. He just heard that Jesus was in the vicinity. He didn't know if Jesus was right in front of him, but he still called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That was his act of faith. What's your act of faith this morning? What's in your hand? Because you already have the tool that God is going to use. You already have the character. You already have the years of teaching. You already have the passion for mental health. You already have what you need if you would stretch out, stretch it out and let God use it. The bottom line is when God calls you, you can trust him to use what you have. God is trustworthy. <laughs> Moses is trifling because we have one last rebuttal, y'all. Skip down to verse 10 in chapter 4 of Exodus. It says, but Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute, deaf, seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. If I can be honest for a moment, this is the one that I struggle with the most. And I'm so glad that God was so petty in his answer. This is the one that I struggle with the most. God, I can't do it. I've never done this before. This is new territory. I can't start a business. I can't restore that relationship with family. It's too hard and I'm not built for this. But this is kind of just a reminder, mostly for me, but also maybe for you, um, that if the job was comfortable and easy, you wouldn't need God. 
If you could do this on your own with your own ability and your own merit, the glory would go to you. And remember what we said at the top. This is not, this is not about you, and it's never been about you. Moses' statement in this moment was, I can't do the job you're asking me to do. And God's response is petty. He says, who is the creator? I've already demonstrated my power. I've already given you my track record. I've already promised my presence with you. I won't just be with you. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Here's my last point. God is saying, I am working through you. Luke 12, verse 11 and 12 says, Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves and what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. God is not just promising his presence. He's not just promising that he's not going to be absent. He's also promising his activity. He's not going to put you out. He's not just going to stay. Pastor, um, was it last week? Two weeks ago. When we had our um, Father's Day sermon, he mentioned that, like, a, a good father is present. But this father is not just present. This father is not just showing up like, oh, there he is. Oh, I'm, I got him. He's not just a bodyguard there to, to, to stand and look scary behind you while you do what he's asking you to do. But he's actually promising you that he is there not just to help you, but to teach you where to go and what to do. The bottom line is when God calls you, God is working through you. So maybe today you're like Moses, you're like me. And you feel like God is pulling you someplace. It's an area that's uncomfortable for you. It's an area that's unfamiliar. You're scared of even taking that next step. Maybe it's into ministry. Maybe it's back into school. Maybe it's to go to counseling. Go to therapy. And to start your healing journey. Now, I don't know what it is. And honestly, I can't tell you what it is. But I do know that when you answer the call of God with your next step, God is present with you. God is enough. He is sufficient. God is trustworthy. And God is working through you. The excuses are gone. I don't know what your next step is, but it's time for you to take that next step. And maybe you're watching and your next step is actually beginning a real relationship with the Lord. Maybe this whole sermon was like, I've seen the Prince of Egypt, Chris. I already know this story. But maybe something was stirred up in your heart and you realize that you haven't had that communion with God that we've talked about and sung about every single Sunday. Maybe you don't actually know Jesus. This is your opportunity now to take that next step. It's going to be scary. It's going to be hard. But you are not alone. You have someone with you who's all sufficient. You have someone with you who is trustworthy and you have somebody who is going to be working with you and through you. If you haven't met Jesus and you want to meet him today, just bow your head, put your hands out in a position of surrender and repeat after me. Say, dear Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. Lord, I pray that you would come into my heart Redeem me and transform me. I am yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, you just made the best decision of your life. Like I said, the next step is not going to be easy. But I'll tell you one thing. It's the best thing that you've ever done.